Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Bless you, WCC. You're visiting, it always feels like a presence of God's Spirit today. Um, it's beautiful. I'm so excited I get to preach. It wasn't scheduled that I would, but I had some church conflicts, and luckily Jeff was willing for there to be an exchange. And I get rewarded to speak behind the microphone after you guys showered such love on us. Thank you so much. Uh, I have had this day pass before, and it not be as, as filled as this. I've had moments where I've had to stir myself up and say, it's okay, it's not about the day. Um, But wow, I feel like I'm on cloud nine. I feel so loved. Um, I don't know how I can add to this service today, but luckily we're going to God's word. So it's not dependent on what I might muster, but we're going to words that have life. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 8 today. I listened to something this week, a podcast with some pastors, and a really well-known pastor I love and respect, and he mentioned that five out of six sermons are New Testament, and if he could do it all over again, he'd still do the same. I got a little agitated and frustrated. I'm like, really? Really? Because I'm usually in the Old Testament. But then we have Pastor Appreciation Day, and we're looking at the installed, the Installment of the High Priest. And I think that just goes really well with Pastor Appreciation Day. Um, Just to give you a little bit of the context with Leviticus chapter 8. This is going to be far different from the last seven chapters we have gone through. That has been a serious hike, okay? We have looked at the five offerings, not once, but twice. Yahweh has said, tell the people, this is how how they are to present sacrifices and offerings to me in a right and holy manner. And then we revisit it for the benefit of the priests as they receive instruction. And it's been a little laborsome. It's had rewards. It's been beautiful. I think one of the biggest takeaways for Leviticus is the first seven chapters God says, okay, this is how you can worship me. I'm going to write a law, and we're not going to start off with this is what you do, and this is what you do, and this is what if you do things like murder or steal or give false testimony. No, the law of God begins with this is how you may worship me. That's beautiful. But it has been really difficult thinking about the, the lobe of the liver and the blood being sprinkled seven times on this and how you prepare the flour raw or baked. It's, it's been a bit of a journey for us. Today we enter Old Testament narrative. We enter story. This is my favorite genre throughout the whole Bible because it's not just abstract theories and theology. I, I do love that, but it's just, this is what God did. This is how God proved himself. This is how the saints moved forward in obedience. Or this is where they deviated from in disbelief. And I can relate to that. And Moses is by far, I think, my favorite author throughout the whole Bible. And he is just busy. This chapter is divided into seven sections. I didn't have to do it on my own. Moses does it for me. And it is, Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. 
So when we're going through chapter 8, underline that. That's Moses providing a division for us. And it's showing, one, his obedience, but also it's the Lord that provides for Israel. The background of this is they have been taken out of Egypt. They are to pursue the promised land, but they are in the wilderness. The Lord has instructed them, you are to build a tabernacle while you yet do not have a land. You are to worship me, you are to come before me. And he gives them instructions all the way back in Exodus 25, saying, hey, we're going to gather some of the materials, some of the resources that you have. And then I'm going to give instructions to Moses, and I'm going to use the skilled men and laborers from among you. And you are going to follow, in a very particular way, what I instruct you to build. So they... they weave garments, they make utensils and items, the Ark of the Covenant. They, they do all of this construction beautifully, and there's no priests. And, and then they find out how to assemble it, and not only do they know how to assemble this tabernacle, they tell all the 12 tribes, this is where you hang out, where you camp, when we go on the road, this is where you're going to position yourselves. So everyone has all those instructions. These are the ornaments and things that go into the tabernacle. This is how we build it. This is how we set up camp around it. But there are still no priests. And now we come to the priests. We're going to find Leviticus 8 installing Aaron and his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. little side note, if you're having a child and it's a boy, I dare you to name it Ithamar. I would love an Ithamar in our church. That's not a joke. We have a Zebulun and a Zion, okay? It's not a challenge, but just, just consider it. Be a little weird. Nothing wrong with being a little weird, right? Ithamar. Sounds good. Well, we're going to be looking at this, reading through the sections in which Moses guides us this morning. So Leviticus 8, verse 1. Follow along. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord had commanded him. God wants the people to see and understand What is going on here? This is not going to be done in secret. This is a point that we've made before. The knowledge the priests have is the knowledge that the people have. There's no secret holiness, no secret mystery that the others are not privileged to know. So the Lord instructs his servant, take my soon-to-be high priest, take his sons, take the items needed to to provide a sacrifice before me, and let's go out. We see an illustration of this also happen in the New Testament. Whenever we ordain an elder or whenever we ordain a deacon, we involve the body in this. It's a very public event. It's a beautiful thing. It shows us, one, what God has called someone to. It also provides the example of one who is called has this disposition. And we Lay hands on them here at our church. Marcus, remember that painful arch you had to do? We all warned you about it. Um, At our church, what we do is is we have the individuals to be ordained staying right here. 
and we just make a line and minister after minister or deacon after deacon lays hands on them and prays over them. It's a beautiful thing. It's a very familial thing that we do here. It's important. We don't just receive resumes, then make a decision in a cubicle, negotiate offers or deals, and then it's done. God loves for this to be something the people see. Now it says, assemble all the congregation. I want to just provide a little detail here. Most likely, this is going to be the elders within the different tribes. This wouldn't just be one representative, so like 12 people, but elders would span out quite a bit more. So you could have a tribe like Naphtali, and it would have hundreds of tribes, hundreds of elders possibly. But realistically, the thousands upon thousands of Israelites could not fit inside this small area in front of of the tabernacle. But the leadership would be there, and they would represent the people. And I want you to think about the excitement as the people gather. We now have the tabernacle where we can worship the Lord. And now the priests are going to be installed, and we could give sacrifices showing thanksgiving. We can give sacrifices showing that we want to now have fellowship. We can now have atonement for our sins. We can now be made right with God and with neighbor. Think about the joyous occasions of of the wives of these men, of the families, of the mothers. Beautiful moment. All gathered. Verse 4b, let's continue. When the congregation was assembled at the doorway of the tent of meeting, Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded to do. Then Moses had Aaron and his sons come near and wash them with water. He put the tunic on him and girded him with the sash and clothed him with the robe and put on the ephod on him. And he girded him with the artistic band of the ephod with which he tied it to him. Then he placed the breastplate or piece on him. And the breastpiece he put the Urim and the Thummim. He also placed the turban on his head, and on the turban at its front, he placed the golden plate, the holy crown, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now it says that they are washed, and I want to say I believe that's private, uh, and and I don't want to just insert my own beliefs or my own cultural um, appropriateness here. But the Lord has instructed the priests that they are to be fully clothed when they worship the Lord. Uh, The pagans in this day did many ceremonial things wearing nothing but a smile. That's a joke. I'm sorry. That might have came out of left field. The Lord has instructed his servants, you will be clothed. But to be washed, they would remove all of their garments. So I believe this is done around a veil. But something very serious is happening here. They are to perform a symbolic cleansing to show themselves as being set apart and holy. This is a ritual purification process. You don't want to be unclean. You also don't want to be unholy before the Lord. So Aaron, as well as his sons, are to wash. They're they're to bathe. 
In our day and age, showers are looked upon as really positively. Certain cultures find bathing to be a good and a healthy thing. Throughout history, sometimes bathing was not seen as um, so acceptable. You look weird when you're wet. Some people thought that you would get sick from it. It's very immodest. It's really humiliating. Who wants to have wet hair, you know? They're told to wash. Now, if we've been looking at Leviticus, we've been really blessed seeing how Jesus oftentimes presents himself as a sacrifice, sometimes presents himself as the priest. In the New Testament, we can also sometimes relate to the role of the priest here because we're called to be priests ourselves. To be a part of the church, to be a believer in Christ, means that you are a holy people, that you are now priests among the Lord. Jesus receives a washing as well, doesn't he, in the New Testament? There is that prophet in the wilderness, John, my favorite prophet, hands down, saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Wash yourselves clean. And then the Son of God comes to him. And John is like, whoa. I'm not worthy to touch your sandal, let alone baptize you. But Jesus says it is appropriate. The prophet is the one to anoint the priest. It's also the prophet that anoints the king. You find that throughout all of Scripture. So John received baptism, and not because, not because Jesus had to repent of his sins, but he was anointed. And then Jesus, as a second Moses, getting a little geeky here, washed his disciples for their service of him. Jesus did this in two different ways. One, he washed the disciples' feet. As he is enjoying that last supper with them, he takes his apostles and he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes them. There's something physical that's going on here for sure, but there's something also symbolic. He is purifying them. He is washing them. He is cleaning them. And... New Testament believers that trust in Christ were also told to receive a washing as we partake in baptism. There's a lot loaded in baptism. That could be a whole sermon in itself, but let me just boil it down to one simple point. The people of God are to be clean. In the following obedience, we go underneath that water, which communicates our allegiance and our connection to Christ. And it communicates that we have been cleaned by him through that devotion and submission to him. Now clothes are brought for Aaron to wear, and clothes can communicate a lot of things. If you want further details, if you're a detail junkie, um, go to Exodus 28 or 39, and you'll get all the different arrangements and things that are going on to Aaron. I don't have time. You guys gave me books today, and we've, we've spent a lot of time on that, so we're not going to stay here till 1 o'clock. Um, But you can look at the details of those items that he wears in Exodus 28 or Exodus 39. But this clothing that Aaron is to put on, it designates a change. It shows a different position. 
Ben, not long ago, worked at Dunkin' Donuts, right? That's my heaven on earth. Um, while he worked there, I imagine Ben had a uniform, with Dunkin' Donuts name badge probably on there, a little hat possibly, Dunkin' Donuts. That lets the people know, hey, I'm here to serve and to take your money. If you have any donut questions, ask me. Um, clothes can communicate. If you're, think if you're in the Army, whatever it is a general or a colonel might wear and, and the decor on their breast gives you a lot of information women as you prepare to walk down the aisle you spent time thinking about that dress you were to wear most of you at least and you thought about what would look well with me what would match the occasion how would it make just my bride's jaw drop that's godly um you spent time on that it communicates something i remember one time amber and i went to a wedding and there was an individual with a a coat jacket and a tuxedo t-shirt that communicated something. <laughs> don't do that, dudes. My dudes, don't do that, okay? Among all these things, what's being communicated is one, God is holy. Also, Aaron is taking on some different garments and a crown that communicates in some way that he is a king or a prince. He holds some authority in this position. Israel's later to have a king, not at this time, but it placed him as an authority. God places leadership in his ministry that carry authority. They don't carry suggestions. Now, in the New Testament, it's, it's a lot different. It's a lot different, but we ask that our people submit. Ooh, that's so scary to say on Pastor Appreciation Day. I want to skate right past that. But, but part of being in this church body is there are some leaders. And submission means that when instructions are given, conversation can be had, but we seek to submit. And submitting doesn't mean hanging out and enjoying everything until there's a disagreement, and then you go. That's not submission. Submission is... Hopefully you're enjoying that unity and that fellowship there. And then when there's a decision, you're like, eh, I don't know. You surrender your rights and you go forward. Now, the New Testament, all of the Bible tells you to test your leaders using God's word. So do that. Uh, if we say things that don't, don't fit this, that don't, don't follow the instructions of the Lord or the attitude of which we're to hold, You are told to approach us. And I promise we're pretty loving. We're loving individuals. And I invite you, if you see something in me or within the elders here, we want to know about it. We don't want to continue sinning and then lead others in sin. We don't want to be prideful. We want to be humble. We want to be servants. Now this section ends in verse uh, 9 with, So Moses did just as the Lord had commanded. Uh, We come to God in worship on the terms that he possesses here. Everything that Aaron puts on, he didn't just make up on his own. He didn't consult with a designer and say, you know, I want to go out throughout my ministry wearing some purple, some blue, some jewelries on my chest, and a real cool crown. These things were told. 
And there's two parts of that that are beautiful. One is Aaron is wearing something that God himself designed. I mean, I mean, ladies, you have that dress and hopefully you loved it. We still, Amber still has hers. Show it off, you enjoy it. But imagine if God gave the instructions for this. Think about the honor and the joy and the reverence of that. But it's also a reminder, this has been provided from God's instructions. Salvation, priests, these are God's doing. These are God's doing. We come to verse 10. Moses then took the anointing oil, anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. Then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Next, Moses had Aaron's sons come here and clothe them with tunics and girded them with sashes and bound caps on them, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So we see in verse 10 through 13 that not only does Aaron, the high priest, receive this anointing, but also the utensils and what's to be used inside the tabernacle. They are to be holy, so they are sprinkled seven times. In addition to that, Aaron's sons are also set apart. So think about this. They're the sons of the high priest, but that doesn't fully prepare them. They have all the fancy clothes now, but that still doesn't prepare them. They need to be anointed. Do you see here the lines of submission that they take upon themselves? They could say, I don't want to put on those vestments. I'm more of a casual guy. Flip-flops and t-shirt. They could have said, listen, I don't need oil put on me. I'm feeling fine today. It's not that hot. I have my own perfumes at home. No, they shut up and they do it. They submit. They follow. And because of that, they are set apart. Moses also is telling us here in these phrases, just as the Lord had commanded that he is faithful. And I don't think Moses is bragging here. I think what Moses is doing is, I have followed the law of the Lord. We're not taking any shortcuts. We're not adding things to God's word. He's seeking to be faithful. He's seeking to be biblical. This is not ultimately Moses' day. It's not ultimately Aaron's day. This is the day in which the Lord has allowed the people to finally have someone assist them in atoning for their sins. This is the day in which the king finally provided a way so that the people may come into his presence without threat. We live in a beautiful day in which we don't have to consider these things. It robs us on one side, but it's a blessing to just come to the Lord and confess our sins here or at home and to worship him and to avoid some of the rituals here. 
But if we neglect them too long, if we don't visit books like Leviticus, we forget what Christ has accomplished. So it's good medicine for us to be here. We're going to go to 14 through 17. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. Next, Moses slaughtered it and took the blood, and with his finger put some of it on the horns of the altar and purified the altar. Then he poured out the rest of the blood at the basin of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. He also took all the fat that was on the entrails of the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys of their fat. And Moses offered it up in smoke on the altar. But the bull and its hide and its flesh and its refuse he burned in the fire outside the camp, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So what we find in here is that there is the offering of sin, the sin offering or also called the purification offering. And that's why verses, chapters 1 through 7 have been a little difficult. The offerings can sometimes be called more than one thing. And we've survived it. The priests had to present sacrifices for themselves. So even though it is that exciting day where all the tribes, leaders come and family come, they are still in need of a sacrifice. No one is disqualified from needing atonement before God. That means I need atonement. That means you need atonement. I'm not Aaron's grandson. I'm not Aaron myself. Author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrew 5, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. As for the people, so also for himself. So the Lord seeks to to consecrate these priests, reminding us that we have high priests, we have one high priest that does not need atonement to be made for him. Every high priest from Aaron afterward needed to make this sacrifice. Notice, Jesus received the washing for purity, but he did not present a sin offering for himself in order to serve as high priest. That is something that's very distinct from Christ's priesthood and the priesthood provided through Aaron. That means, beloved, you can be sure of your salvation. The high priest that offered himself for you did not have to take care of his sin elsewhere. Jesus didn't have uh uh-oh moments or mistakes or seasons of rebellion or of ignorance. No, our great high priest did not have to make a sin offering for himself when he presented his body to God. Amen and hallelujah. Our high priest is so much better. Instead, he became sin for us, correct? Bear the curse of God on himself. We placed our hands on him. We, we spit on him. We beat him. We plucked his beard. We whipped him. Our hands, our confessions, 
Sanctifying confessions or hideous confessions? Curses were placed on him. But he, beloved, he needed to slay no bull because of his transgressions. So let's go to 18 through 21. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Moses slaughtered it and sprinkled the blood around on the altar. When he had cut the ram into its pieces, Moses offered up the head and the pieces of the suet in smoke. After he had washed the entrails and the legs with water, Moses offered up the whole ram in smoke on the altar. It was a burnt offering of a soothing aroma. It was an offering by fire to the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. This burnt offering could, one, atone for sin, but also this burnt offering would be a way in which one could acknowledge the Lord is worthy of all praise and honor. So it could be that the sin offering was, I am guilty and I, and I need atonement. The burnt offering could be, I praise you for the deliverance and the reconciliation you provide sinners. We as priests have also received a meal in which we partake, pointing to a covenant that has been promised to us. Every Sunday, we do this. Every Sunday, we we cling on to the covenant that the Lord has made with us. He will come again. He has accomplished what we cannot accomplish. He is our sacrifice. Every Sunday, we come to this meal. We come to this offering. It's beautiful. Verse 22 through 29. Let's continue. Then he presented the second ram, the ram of ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Moses slaughtered it and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. He also had Aaron's sons come near, and Moses put some of the blood on the lobe of their right ear, and on the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot. Moses then sprinkled the rest of the blood around on the altar. He took the fat and the fat tail, and all the fat that was on the entrails, and the lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys, and their fat, and the right thigh, From the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake and one cake of bread mixed with oil and one wafer and placed them on the portions of fat and on the right thigh. Then he put all these on the hands of Aaron and on the hands of his sons and presented them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and offered them up in smoke on the altar with the burnt offering. They were an ordination offering for a soothing aroma. It was an offering by fire to the Lord. Moses also took the breast and presented it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses seems to be pretty busy today, doesn't he? Moses, up until now, 
has to function as a judge, a prophet, a priest, and a king. Moses in his old age goes to the battlefield. Moses in his old age is preparing these sacrifices. Moses in his old day is helping make sure that the law is being followed. It's beautiful. There is this substitute here. He points so much to Christ. One of the things that he does, which is very interesting, is blood in verse 22 and 20, sorry, 23 and 24 are placed on the priests. It's placed on their ear, on their thumb, and on their toe. And I don't think you need a commentary to kind of connect the dots here. They are to go forward in their ministry, sanctified and set apart. They are to use their ears, their understanding, wisely. They are to use their knowledge and wisdom, not as a weapon in service, but with dignity, respect, love, and care. With their hand, they are to serve. They are not to perform these sacrifices wrongly. They are not to steal from those who bring and seek to offer things to God. And with their big toe, it symbolizes they are to walk a righteous life. Not to walk with the wicked or the counsel. David Cannon knows a thing or two about an anointed toe. You can talk to him about that later. He's not here right now. I said I would mention it in the last sermon. They walked with the righteous. You here, as you serve, don't serve as a weapon. We're a very young church, and there can be a temptation for us. I'm doing the Lord's work, and I'm doing double duty right now, and I'm not getting the honor that I deserve or the attention that I I miss or I need. So I'm going to keep doing, 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 and then just poke and use it. Don't do that. Don't do that. You have an opportunity and a blessing to serve at a church that is still figuring things out. Do so in love. Do so understanding that your Lord loves you, he died for you, and he's using you. Spend yourself on others with joy and with faithful obedience. I don't know if that's in the text, but that was on my heart, so I shared it. Verse 30 through 36. So Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, and his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. Then Moses said to Aaron and to his sons, Boil the flesh at the doorway of the tent of meeting and eat it there together with the bread which is in the basket of an ordination offering, just as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. The remainder of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with the fire. You shall not go outside the door of the tent of meeting for seven days until the day that the period of your ordination is fulfilled. For he will ordain you through seven days. The Lord has commanded to do as sorry, the Lord has commanded to do as has been done this day, to make atonement on your behalf. 
at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Moreover, you shall remain day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you will not die. For so I have commanded. Thus Aaron and his sons did all the things which the Lord had commanded through Moses. So they're wearing all of this regalia designed by God. It it was designed in a way to capture everyone's attention and to draw awe in the right way. They presented these sacrifices. Everything seems to be done. And then Yahweh tells Moses, stain it with blood. Stain it with blood. Can you imagine a a bride sitting at the banquet and some kid with Kool-Aid coming by and just spilling it on the dress? Can Can you imagine some military general trying to iron his uniform and the wife or he just leaves the iron on there too long? These are no-nos. These are do-not-dos. And with this fine regalia, the Lord says, stain it with blood. It's a permanent reminder. You have been set apart, but a price still must be made on your behalf. Be holy and be humble. They do this staining seven times. This isn't a one-time thing. For seven days, they do these offerings. They do these anointings. This communicates the seriousness. God says, if you do six and a half, if you do four, you will die. You are to be precise in this. This is to be perfect. It is to be whole. And they follow in obedience. My question for you all today is very simple. How do you prepare yourself before a holy God? For those of you that are on the fence about Christ, for those of you that think that you're a really good person, do you not see the seriousness the high priest himself takes before the Lord? Submit to him. Cling to the works of Christ, not your own, and be made clean and enjoy fellowship. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I confess that it is hard to come out of Leviticus 8 and breathe. You are good and you are holy. I thank you that I can approach you through the high priest, Jesus Christ. Father, may we cling to him ever tightly. May we not be impressed by what we have accomplished. Father, may we not think that we're okay because of where we attend or who we know. But may we, Father God, take comfort in your Son, who served as high priest and has served as sacrifice. And may we trust on him alone, we ask. In Christ's name, amen.